there might not be a more coveted individual feat in the game of hockey for a skater than scoring a hat trick. Once that third goal is scored, for those of us who have had the chance to witness the feat live, uh, seeing the hats thrown on the ice and the jubilation from the player who's recorded and oftentimes knows he's recorded his third goal, plus the excitement and enthusiasm, especially if it's done at home, as you see the hats rain down on the ice and the tradition of them being scooped up as well. But in hockey, the feat of scoring three goals on one shift, it's been done so rarely. In fact, in ECHL history, two players have scored hat tricks in fewer than 45 seconds. The first one, Darren Schwartz did it for the Wheeling Nailers in the 90s, and the second was a member of the Reading Royals in 2002-2003. Defenseman Ray DeLauro is our guest on the Roaring Twenties podcast today. We talked to the Ben Salem, PA native, a guy that grew up not too far from Santander Arena, about his early days playing professionally, how he signed with the Royals out of St. Lawrence University, and what that moment of scoring the hat trick Again, the three goals in 40 seconds on an early March midweek game against Trenton still meets him today. As a reminder, Royals fans, a lot of information on the Royals website about current happenings with the team. Still too early for players to sign and whatnot, but as this thing starts to come together and we get near the late stages of April and May, certainly the anticipation continues to build for what's going to be an exciting 20th anniversary season in 2020-2021 at Santander Arena. So for now, we're going to toss it to Ray, this was a fun interview. Hope you can stick around, especially as he retells the story from the hat trick and about him going and playing in Europe overseas and how that legacy carried with him over to the German League in the DEL. So let's get this thing started. Well, we're here on the Roaring Twenties podcast, examining some of the best moments and the best people that have comprised Royals hockey over the first 19 seasons as we head into the 20th anniversary season in the fall of 2020. And probably no better person to do it from some of the early years than a guy that uh, made a big impact in his one season playing with the team, his one full season. That is defenseman Ray DeLauro, who joined the Royals after graduating from St. Lawrence University up in New York. Ray, thanks again for joining us. How's everything going? It's going good. Thanks for having me. Where do uh, we find you on this uh, quarantine day of April 14th, 2020? <laughs> I just got home. Fortunately, I'm still working um, in the construction field. I'm in the Steamfitters Union, um, so one of our jobs was deemed essential. Um, so I'm still working, but I live in uh, just outside of Philadelphia in, in uh, Bucks County in Holland, Pennsylvania. So my wife is home with my uh, three daughters, and uh, we're just trying to survive the day. Philly area guy. Uh, Royals over the last few years have had a number of Philly area guys, so that, that tradition's kind of uh, remained strong. Wanted to ask you about being from the Philly area a little bit later on, but uh, I have to imagine it's pretty interesting right now because, um, you know, all the Royals staff and a lot of fans obviously are, you know, home or working from home, and, um, you know, we're obviously over these first few episodes of the podcast been wishing, you know, everyone well, but what's it been like for you still having, you know, like wake up, go into work, and, uh, you know, feel and be an essential worker to make sure that the community near Philly is still, you know, running strong. Uh, it's crazy times. It's it's hard to explain. Everybody's going through something different here and, and trying to, like I said, just go day by day and, and see what happens. So, I mean, it's, it's really helped me out traffic-wise. I'll give you that. But other than that, <laughs> there's not many benefits to what's going on. But, um, 
Yeah, it's just crazy. It's like I said, we got three daughters at home, and I mean, they're starting to go stir crazy. They're young, trying to go crazy, just getting out of the house and and this and that. So I mean, you see, you hear all these stories and see all this stuff with everybody, and just talk to people from guys that you played hockey with way back then in Reading and what they're going through, and it's just uh, just tough times for everybody. You still stay in touch with a lot of the lot of the guys from back in '01 or '02 or '02 '03, the years you were on the Royals. Yeah, a few guys I do. I just saw uh, Brandon Dietrich. I, I actually played at college with, and um, I played in Reading with him that same year. And I just saw him a few weeks ago at a, or I guess before all this happened, probably in February, but um, up at a reunion for our college. And so not got you don't got you don't talk to guys every day like you used to, but you definitely get random texts here and there, or you see stuff now with social media. It's so easy to see what's going on and and shoot a little text or a message here and there, and and see how everybody's lives have turned out uh, almost 20 years later. You grew up in, uh, you know, just outside of Philly in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, really close to, you know, being able to just make the commute every day. That's, some, uh, you know, what a lot of people obviously are doing and not even too far from Reading. Um, you know, with it being removed, you just turned 40 and you're still living in the same area after, you know, obviously traveling, traveling a lot, uh, playing hockey over the years. So how does it feel for you uh, since retiring to be able to settle down, uh, have a consistent job and, you know, be able to live in sort of the area that you grew up in? It's nice. It's nice to not be moving and living out of a suitcase and all that. And I loved every minute of what I did and where I've been and traveled the world and seen that. But I mean, I I think for 13 or 14 years, I live somewhere different every year. Um, So it's nice. And I love this area, like Reading included. It's just so there's so close to so many things in New York City, the Poconos, the beaches. And there's just a great working class community around here. And like, I always knew I wanted to be back here is where my family's from. And and this and that. So it is nice to just be back at home around my family and friends and, and have a place to call a home for once and settle down and come back to every day. Again, chatting with Ray DeLauro on the Roar, the Roaring Twenties podcast, former Royals defenseman from the 0102 season right after he finished his collegiate career and then uh, ended up playing with the Royals in 2002 and 2003 let's jump way back to um you know growing up how did you get into playing hockey what was the philly area you know youth scene like at the time for philly area hockey and how you got involved in it yeah i i don't even know how i got involved to be honest with you there were hockey wasn't very big back then i know my parents all grew up in south philly they were big broad street police fans and um i remember being younger and my cousin started playing so i just said hey i want to play and and I don't know how I got to where I was to end up in Reading and to play pro, but I mean, it kind of just kept going a step at a time. And to me, it was just, I was just having fun with it and, and doing this and that. And it brought me so many places. So I just kept going with it. And so I don't really, nowadays, like you said, there's a lot of Philly roots going into Reading and stuff, which is awesome. Um, I mean, hockey, it's nice to come back here again after all this time and see how big hockey got here and how many teams there are and how many kids are playing and, and all the ties that they have and how many kids are actually going places from here uh, with it. So it's, it's great to see. What were some of the, uh, the early teams, if they maybe, I don't even know if they still exist that you grew up playing on youth teams and whatnot before you ended up, uh, you know, getting to St. Lawrence university. Um, so I grew up playing in a local rink, uh, which is still here. It's uh, not far from much, about 15 minutes down the street from where I live right now. And uh, at baseball circle, it used to be called in Warminster. Um, and then I played for the Philadelphia Little Flyers. Um, and then when I was 15, my sophomore year in high school, I ended up going to a school in Lake Placid, New York. 
Um, and I finished my high school out up there and I played hockey up there and then went to college from there. So like I said, like back then, there was only a handful of rinks here. Hockey wasn't very big. Um, and I was me and another guy were approached to, to go away to play. And I, I didn't, again, I didn't know what I was getting into. I just said, sure, I'll, I'll go anywhere. So we, we went and it, it was, it was the greatest thing I ever did. It was such a great experience and met so many people again, like that I keep in touch with now today. And, um, so from there, it was just like the, the kids from here that went, there was a few of us that went away. And I mean, so it was just a great experience and I didn't know it just worked out It's interesting. without even knowing what I was doing. It's sort of interesting, too, with maybe the perspective of time. We like to ask this even to the guys that, uh, you know, are played on the Royals this past season um, and in past years, even though they're, you know, a little bit younger, which is that, you know, there's sometimes some guys maybe have a moment where they realize that they're good. But would you say that your path was kind of just following what, you know, advice of others and realizing that you were talented and that you could play college hockey, but maybe not having that one moment where you're like, I can, I, I might be able to play pro or play college hockey. Yeah, I mean, I talk about this a lot. Like, when I look back, I never realized, like, that, like you said, that one moment they were like, oh, like, maybe I can get drafted. Maybe I can go to college, whatever. Like, I just kind of, I just remember playing to have fun, and I was having a great time. And then I would, whatever, get a phone call from someone saying, hey, we're interested in college. And I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. And then so on and so forth. Like, I, I got drafted by the Atlanta Thrashers my freshman year in college. I don't even remember knowing I was in the draft. I, my parents got, we didn't have cell phones back then. My parents got a phone call one night and said, Hey, uh, so-and-so just called, said you were drafted by the Atlanta Freshers. I said, Oh, that's, that's awesome. I didn't know. Like I didn't even, well, I wasn't at the draft. I didn't know anything about it. Ninth round pick in 1999. Uh, there was only one Atlanta, former Atlanta Thrashers draft pick uh, in the ECHL this past season. And obviously they've been in Winnipeg for, I believe, more than a decade at this point. So with the passage of yeah. time, it's kind of a cult following. Does, is it kind of cool to be able to tell people that you were drafted by the Atlanta Thrashers? <laughs> That's funny. I didn't think about that. But yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's cool. It's, it's It was always good. And like I said, it was, it's just nice to. I guess is to be drafted, um, number one. And then, yeah, like there was still, I mean, people I even played with there with Atlanta camps and stuff like that. I mean, just seems now that you got me talking about it, you think about all these stories and all these, these people pop in your head. It's just, it was just such great times. Who did you uh, run into any notable, you know, like former thrashers during development camp or when you were, you know, going through that process while you were still in college before coming out? <laughs> um, yeah, so the year that I got drafted, we went down there and it was the year that Danny Heatley signed. Um, so that was like a big, he was obviously a big name uh, for them and getting started. And so they were uh, like kind of, I think maybe a year or two before I got drafted is when they first originally started. So, I mean, they were kind of just trying to get going and getting a lot of people there. So they had a million people in and out of there and, <clears throat> and doing their thing. So um, Antoine Vermette was there. And I mean, there was a lot of guys that, uh, that were in and out and it didn't, didn't work out for me, but I still had, experiences and it led me to to where I was upon uh you know last few weeks of your college season your senior year and uh you know you're, I'm sure you're probably starting to consider what it might look like after your senior year where you were an alternate captain uh at St. Lawrence if you could take us back to it's the 0102 season the season's kind of finishing up and um you end up playing three games for the Royals and three games for the Springfield Falcons in the American League how did it all happen that you know you ended up signing pro 
Um, so I guess kind of the same story. Like I was, I was in college and then our season ended and I got a phone call from, um, somebody there in Reading and they asked if I wanted to come play. I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And I, I just kind of took a drive down. I was really excited because it was close to my house and my family and friends could all come. I think my first game that I played in Reading when I was still in college, I'm pretty sure there was probably like 30 people there, um, just to my family and friends and all that. So it was like, that was really cool that my first pro game, um, everybody got to see and, and then knowing that I had the opportunity possibly to play there again the next year, um, being that I'm from here was, was something I was looking forward to. Um, and then from there I played the three games and then again, my agent got a phone call and they asked if I wanted to go up to Springfield and I said, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> and I went there and I played, I think I played another, maybe three games there before I went back to college and, and finished and graduated there. Uh, but then the next year, both of those teams ended up calling me back I obviously played for Reading the whole year but I went and played a bunch of games in Springfield just because of the connections you make from the year before um so it was great I kind of just like I said I just kind of went with the flow and I, I wish I had someone that like maybe let me know ahead of time what was what was going on and this is what to expect or this is what you should do and, but I kind of just just went with it and I had uh I had an amazing experience from right on the the start, uh, asking a lot of players that had to go into at the time it was uh, first, uh, uh, you know, Sovereign Center now it's Santander Arena, and you know back when it first opened as well. But one of the things that strikes from former players or you know players that played there early on was that the Royals from the start not only had a really passionate fan base, but it was really loud and they would get on you, <laughs> and it kind of still tr the tradition continues that way today. Uh, what do you remember about the atmosphere from your first few games pro and what it was like playing in downtown Reading? I, it kind of brought me back to my childhood. I love it. I, I think it's just an extension of Philly. And, I mean, that's how I grew up, going to the Flyers games. And, I mean, if you're if you're not shooting the puck, if you're losing, if you're not playing well, they're going to let you know. But as soon as you win a game or as soon as you do something good, they're also going to let you know as well. And I, I feel like that was the same way at Reading. And, I wouldn't really have it any other way. I wish everywhere was like that. I mean, I remember packing in almost every game was sold out. I mean, whether we played in the afternoons or night times or whatever. And I mean, it was as loud as can be. And then obviously when you have your down games, they're, they're letting you know, but it's good. Like, I mean, they're paying money to come see you and you you have a job to do. And I think that's good. comes with the territory. So the three games with the Royals and then the three games, of the American league. And you had said that, um, you know, it kind of, laid the table for you to uh, potentially, you know, come back and play your first full year pro. So you go back to St. Lawrence and then how did you make the decision to end up signing with the Royals and be back for 2002 and 2003 for your first full uh, season professional? Um, so when I, it, it wasn't going to work out with Atlanta. We were kind of talking to them. I signed it with them. And at the time they had so many guys and all that. Cause like I said, they were an expansion team and, for whatever reason, it wasn't working out with them. Um, and I did have a great experience here in Reading. Um, so I didn't want to kind of go wherever, out to California or Florida just to play. So I knew I loved it here and I'm from here and all that. And it was like the fan base there was amazing. So I t to me, in my mind, there was no better place to play and start my professional career there. Um, so it's when I when I signed the contract there and, and I figured I'd just take my chances and see – what would happen elsewise as far as call-ups and stuff like that? Because um, that's, I mean, Reading is another great spot for call-ups. There's so many American League teams around that you are, you are 
readily available to get to a lot of places. Whereas in, if you're in South Carolina, you got to fly places, you got to do this and that. So, I mean, it just seemed like hockey career and, and just even my life decision, it was nice just to be close to home and play in front of great fans and kind of see where the hockey career was going to take me. <clears throat> It was, uh, you know, still in the first sort of 15 years of the uh, East Coast Hockey League at the time. And uh, I know that there's like a lot of just random crazy stories that have happened, especially in those like first 15 to 20 years. Now they're past, you know, year 30 in league history. (laughs) But um, any any like random travel stories or something just like crazy that happened one time or whether it's in a game or something that even, you know, Almost 20 years later, you kind of reflect on and be like, "How the, how the heck were we making it through and doing this at the time?" Yeah, it's. I mean, it's nuts. Like you said, I mean, there's so much stuff that pops in your head, and a lot I can't even say what happens over here. But <laughs> there was, uh, I mean, a couple times like you're you're on buses nonstop and you're playing one game and then you're driving 14 hours. And luckily, we had a really nice uh, sleeper bus. So the one time I feel like we were down in like South Carolina area, something like that. And we were driving, we just played a game and then we were driving to our next game and it was probably like two 30 in the morning. And all of a sudden you just hear this loud bang and everybody just starts falling out of their bunks and going whatever. And the bus driver turns out he didn't realize, or I guess he didn't check the air conditioner was on the top of the bus at the time. So he just went under an underpass and didn't check the height or didn't go slow. And he just took the air conditioner right off the top of the bus everybody the bus starts swerving and now all of a sudden we just got this big hole in the top of our bus we ended up at three in the morning we had to tape like cardboard up there just to get to the make it to the rink and and then they had to fix something for the way home but yeah i mean there's there's it's the minor leagues is is it's awesome i loved it and it was but it's it's funny what what happens and what you go through and just to just to play the game that's an amazing story, and it's like one of those things too, where I'm sure from your perspective, having played so many years, uh, you know, minor pro, and then obviously went overseas, but um, that it's just one of those things that you know I, I've only been in pro minor pro for three years, going on a fourth year here, but it's like you almost the stories sometimes it feels like they combine. So <laughs> to be able to remember that it was from o two o three is kind of a little bit of a uh, little bit of a story <laughs> in itself, just to be able to remember that, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. And it's Sorry. Like that was my rookie year. So you're kind of like at the time you don't know any better, right? You just you're going along thinking that ever this is like it, and then now that you look back and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe we did this or that or this would happen. It's, it's funny. The older you get, when you look back, and even when you're still playing, like you look back, you're like what? What were we thinking? What was going on there? And then, but at the time, you're 21 years old, and you're just loving life. You don't you don't care if you had air conditioner or not. You're just on a bus ready to play hockey. So that uh, 02-03 team, it kind of has a little bit still of a, you know, like a cult following from, you know, being one of the early teams with the Royals. And, you know, the offense on that team was great. Brian McCullough, Steve Rimshop, Brad Rooney, Simone uh, Tremblay on the blue line. What do you remember about – I'll ask you first about the forwards. What do you remember about McCullough, Rimshaw, and Rooney, who still to this day of the three, you know, best single-season point totals for the Royals in team history? Yeah, I mean, they were great guys, and they were all, I think, I want to say at least a year or two uh, more pro than I started a year or two before I did. I mean, so, that, like, they were awesome guys. They were great in the locker room. They were obviously great on the ice and, and the, the accomplishments that they did. But it was just, it was nice to, that whole team, it was nice just to be on there. Like, we had uh, Chris Bogus, who was a little older. He was a great guy. Like, it was nice, like I said, like, my first year, you don't know what to do. You don't know what you're expecting, like, 
So it was good to just walk in the locker room and feel welcomed and have guys that you can kind of ask questions to or that will show you the way or, like, they're not going to be all over you about this and that. Like, they kind of help you out. And I think that's what – like, we had a good – like, all the guys got along that year. And it was – I wish we did a little better, obviously, which you always do unless you win. But, um, like, it was just – we just had a great time. Like, on and off the ice, on the bus trips. Like, nobody was ever – complaining about everything like he kind of just went with the flow and, and i think that helps on the ice like i mean if, if you're not having fun then you're not really going to play well if everybody's just complaining and not liking each other you're not going to play well and so i think that we all got along and that everybody was like a, a similar personality it really helps like those guys and myself too just be successful on the ice as well as as off the ice what were your uh, impressions, you know, that you were able to take and, you know, obviously playing a number of ECHL seasons after that, but sort of what did you think about what the ECHL was like at that time and how it could help you, you know, springboard your career, whether to play overseas as you did or eventually, you know, get promoted and have a pretty much full season in the American Hockey League? Um, well, there's so many guys that, I mean, the ECHL does such a good job at developing guys. And I mean, now they're, they got to be one of the biggest leagues in, in the country, right? They have so many teams that are all over now in California and everywhere. Um, I mean, so uh, when you come in, you see all these guys that are like the ECHL alumni that are playing in the NHL that are be big contributors and winning Stanley Cups and, and this and that. So, you know, it's not like, you're not just there just because you, you don't want to go to work or in a real job for, for a year. Like you're there because everybody has the same goal to play and, and some guys will make it and some guys won't. But I mean, so they did, they do a really good job at making sure guys are developing and, and doing the right things and, and heading in the right direction. Um, so when you come in there, I mean, I think that's your goal. And like I said, we had a great group of guys that we're all going towards that. And you see the guys that are the older guys that are getting called up and we were with LA at the time. So you see guys going up to Manchester all the time. And that really like that year, I really opened my eyes to, like I was saying before, like I didn't really know what to expect anywhere. I kind of just went with it. But that year, when you see all these guys going up to the American league and playing and this and that, it really opened my eyes. I was like, wow, I, I might actually be able to, to do something here. I want to ask about the hat trick because uh, it was your first pro hat trick and it stands as uh, – My only pro hat trick. Only pro – okay, only pro hat trick. And it stands as uh, what is still sort of one of the craziest moments in uh, in team history. So uh, three goals in 40 seconds. First of all, how many times have you watched the video or seen the, seen the clip of it? I can't even count. Like everywhere you go, like every, especially nowadays with like YouTube and all that stuff, like every team you go on, people always Google you and this and that. So like every new team I would play on, especially over in Europe, like you're meeting all these European guys, they want to know who's coming. They would YouTube and they would pull up a clip and they would see it. So then the first time you're over there, like everybody would be showing it here. Oh my God, you did this and that. And like, so I, I've seen it. God knows how many times at this point. <laughs> so to set the scene for it, it uh, the Royals uh, were supposed to play on February 16th against Trenton uh, of 2003. And uh, I don't know if you remember this. There was the president's like a president's day snowstorm. I was uh, young growing up in New Jersey at the time, just like 10, 11, <laughs> 12 years old in New Jersey. And yeah. uh the President's Day storm, uh, I remember it like it was just being a terrible, like, you know, school at the time was canceled for three days. Uh, and it, the game was moved. So the Royals were supposed to play Trenton on February 16th, and then it was moved to March 5th. Do you remember that game kind of getting moved at the time? 
I, I, I vaguely, and I do remember like the snowstorms and stuff and, and that, but like, yeah, I don't remember the specifics of it, that it was that game that got moved or, or whatever, but I have, people have told me that in the past when we talk about this, which is funny. So the game was ended up being moved to March 5th. It was just kind of placed on a, you know, it's a Trenton coming. It's not a huge deal yeah. for the travel. So otherwise it could have been more tricky, but just, you know, midweek game, March 5th, uh, kind of ho-hum. Um, what do you remember, uh, you know, sort of leading up to that game? You know, how were you playing? How was the team playing heading into the final month of the year? Um, I, I, I vaguely remember, like, I think we, we still had a chance at the playoffs. Like, it wasn't like we were out of it, um, but we kind of had to win, start winning and go on a roll and, and do that. So, like, we everybody, like I said, everybody had a good camaraderie and we were all in there and we still had a chance. Again, our, in our locker room, we still had a chance to go somewhere and do something. Um, so it was kind of like do or die at the time. Like, we had to put it, put together a good winning streak um, to be able to – to move on to the playoffs or if we didn't then it was coming to an end um but i do remember us kind of playing well and we had, i think we did have some bad luck as far as even injuries and call-ups as well like i remember playing shorthanded a lot like just with with guys that were coming from all over the place which which doesn't always help your um like your hot streak you're trying to get on and this and that but um like i said all the guys that filled in were were coming in and just because you have that the camaraderie in the room everybody kind of just buys in so uh maybe something i don't know if you've ever been asked this but uh the team was down three nothing so i have to imagine and it's early in the third it's not like you know it, it wasn't put together yeah. over the course of an entire game but it, it happened so quickly but uh how were you playing if you remember anything about the game uh before uh you went on the, you know the 40 second uh shift of your life there and scored three goals yeah, I don't even know. To be honest, I couldn't have been playing that well. We're losing three nothing, right? <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so again, teams down three nothing, and then uh, I, if you could sort of take me uh, uh, through it in your in your mind as it happened, what you remember about how the heck all this came together, and you scored three goals in forty seconds. Yeah, I, it's such a blur, right? Like, like I almost don't even remember it on the ice. You kind of just remember it from from watching it all these times. But um, I mean, you're losing three nothing coming into the third period. Uh, you got to start taking chances. Um, the defense have to start pinching. You got to start joining the offense more than you normally would. Um, so the first goal, I remember, they rimmed it around the the wall, and it was coming up to my point. So instead of like normally, I probably would have just sat back. Their winger would have got it, broke out, and then we would have played it normal. But we're losing three nothing. So I said, "What the hell?" And um, so I just pinched in. I ended up getting the puck, and I just kind of took a few strides to the middle, and I just took a quick shot on that, and it went in. And that was the first one. Puck worked up the near board. It's taken away. This one shot in and scoring. It's Ray Delorel. Saint Germain obviously wanted a shutout. And uh, the second one was seven seconds later, which is actually uh, tied for and still tied for the record of, uh, you know, the, the two quickest uh, home home goals, consecutive home goals uh, for the Royals. It actually ended up getting matched uh, in 2017. There were uh, Michael Hunnebrinker, who ended up playing for the Florida Everblades this year, and then a guy that just sort of had a cup of tea with the Royals named Jimmy DeVito scored seven seconds apart. You know, face off pretty much the – yeah, kind of like the same way, puck downed, and then uh, you take it into the zone, 
and you ended up beating, you know, David uh, St. Germain and on the clip, it's sort of like a wrister above the right circle. Um, when you're taking it up the ice and, you know, you see you have some space or you kind of, I know it's a blur, but, um, you know, watching it now, what may have been your mentality and why you decided to go for a quick shot again? Yeah, it, it was just kind of a weird play. Like, I mean, it was right off the face off. The puck bounced right to the board. And then I remember looking up and everybody, all the, the wingers and the centers all just tied up. Like nobody actually went for the puck. So I just remember, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take a run. So I went up and got it, and I'm not—I uh, was never a fancy dangler, so I kind of like didn't want to go and do whatever. I kind of—I just kind of had—they gave me the blue line, and I cut across the blue line. And my guy, I always just tried to get more volume of shots on net. So I figured, what the hell? I'll, I'll go in and and take a quick shot and see where the rebound goes. And next thing you know, that was the buzzer was going off again. <laughs> Puck is dropped. The Royals have it. Here's Deloro coming in again. Deloro snaps another one and scored. Right on! Put it in! Holy cow, Raymond! 10:34. The time of that one, and all of a sudden, the Royals got it going. A guy scores. There's probably a a line change unless it happens like really quick in a shift. Uh, there was a timeout, and in fact, like if you end up you know finding the clip on YouTube, as so many have done. Um, there's like a quick little media timeout that uh, the Royals broadcaster at the time, John Curtis, took. And he's like, all right, we're back. And, yeah. you know, hey, it's, uh, you know, timeout's over and uh, it's 3-2 game. Royals are, are still down to Trenton. And uh, you find yourself still on the ice. Uh, do you remember the coaching staff saying anything to you about, like, you're hot, just, just, just go for it or anything like that? Yeah, it's funny because they would say to me, like, even after, they would always joke around. For some reason, they had a thing where, like, whenever you scored a goal, they would change the D pairing. So when I scored the first one, it was kind of, we just got on for a shift, and they're just, they just kind of waved me on or whatever. You don't think anything about it. And then I scored the second one, and I come back to the bench, and you're sitting there, and they, like, he, I remember them looking at me and, like, shaking their finger, like, you're not coming off. Get back on the ice. I'm like, all right, well, whatever. Were uh, any of the guys chirping you that you had to go for a third at that point? Yeah, it was funny. It was because the guys on the bench, and if you can see the video, like Colin Pepperall, like when you're coming up the bench, the guys are just laughing. Like they just couldn't believe it. Like you're just like laughing and trying to hit you and throw things at you. Like it was just squirting you with water bottles. Like it was just a pretty funny, funny situation. Uh, what do you uh, remember about what happened next? Because it wasn't too uh, too much longer. Just 33 seconds later, and you find yourself with a chance for a one-timer. You take it and you score. Yeah, I, I remember kind of going up the the ice. I think I had the puck on a rush, and then I like I remember at that time it kind of popped in my head like as I'm carrying the puck in, like I, I better get this on net. So I think I took a shot, and then obviously it didn't go in. The rebound came around, and then somehow it came back to my D partner and went. Out, and then he just uh, he says he was 100 percent going to give it to me. I think it was Snezzard. He said he was going to give it to me no matter what if there was a guy on me or not. But nobody was on me. He threw the puck over for a one timer and. I don't remember looking up or nothing. I was just trying to hit the puck and make sure I didn't make a fool of myself. And, and next thing you know, we're all in the corner and, and celebrating again. How, uh, how, at what point did you kind of realize how quick it all had happened? I, I don't think it was so after the game. Like, obviously, you know, it was quick and it was uh, like the, the one shift or whatever. But I don't think until after the game, we actually knew the actual timeline that it was 40 seconds. <laughs> And how uh, I know it's you know it's a, a number of years ago at this point, uh, March fifth of two thousand three when it happened. But 
that was one of the first hat tricks in Royals history at the time. Brian McCullough had had a few. Um, it was officially the fourth hat trick in Royals history. And, you know, the, the, the call, I think, kind of from John on the video is like really – it's really amazing because he's basically yeah, – he go- did a great job. I think it was amazing. Like you said, like watching the video back now, like I think he makes it. Like if it was just a video of me with nothing, I think he makes the video. And I think it, it just it's, – it's something cool to have. Like – like I said, you look back at all these times that you played and how many places you've been and all these things that you've done, and I never got to play in the NHL. And I, but like some of these moments like that, like there's some things that you, you can never forget, and you'll never. <clears throat> you can, like, I, I tell my kids about it now, like, and they watch the video and they think it's really cool. And, I mean, so it's just something really. It's a great memory to have. Deloro, two goals, seven seconds apart, has got the Royals' life. Here's Deloro again. He scored. Ray DeLauro on a hat trick! Holy cow! Ray DeLauro has stuck another one in! And the Royals have tied it! And this may be a turning point this season! This team was left at the side of the street and nobody was picking them up! And Ray DeLauro has matched the number on his back! A hat trick! His first! ever in his professional career Delaro has got another one at 11.07 and you end up you know you played a couple games in the AHL um, go and play in Colum- uh, Columbus down south with the Cottonmouths and then um, you know the next year you're with arguably the it's the really the only lone remaining huge rival at least historically with wheeling and uh now you're a visiting player coming back to santander arena and you played all 72 with the nailers that year what do you remember about some of the first times that you know you came back and got to see you know not only just family but some of the old fans in uh in reading back when you were uh playing with some other teams in the echl yeah it was great i mean the people were always like i said they're always going to cheer for for the reading royals which they should but like they always let you know that they still respect you and they and they miss you and that kind of thing i mean there would be a lot of people waiting after afterwards just to say hello or people with banners or or stuff like that little posters that are up that like so it, it does it makes you feel good to go back to a place that you played and that people actually still remember you and and say hi and and want to wait for you just to say hi and that like see how you're doing and that kind of thing um which speaks a lot to the to the fans over in there in reading that are how dedicated they are that even know where people are playing, right, and who their names are, and this and that, and and how into it they are. It's uh, it's interesting too because obviously you know you go play with Wheeling in Columbus, and then you have the year in the AHL with Cleveland, uh, with a few games, and even Fresno. So a lot of cities uh, getting to wear a lot of jerseys. But then um, you end up going and playing overseas two years in uh, the German league, the DEL. Uh, one year in the EBEL, and then another year in uh, Italy before coming back to. North America, and then you went and played in the Asia League for a little bit, and then in Trenton where you finished <laughs> yeah. your career. Uh, you know, how did it all happen that uh, you ended up, you know, wanting to go overseas and explore and see what that was all about over in Germany and a bunch of other locations as well? Um, kind of the same and everything else. Like, I just got a, a phone call when I was in Cleveland. There was an agent there that works with agents over in Europe, I guess, and he pulled me aside one day and asked if I'd be interested, and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in anything. Like, I like I said, when I was 15, someone asked me if I would leave. I said, yes, yeah. so I've always been one that, to travel and, and see things. Um, so I had an opportunity to go play in, in the top league in Germany. Um, so I talked about it with my family, and it was a, it was a big decision. Um, 
but I'm glad I made it. It was, I ended up going over there and again, you just meet so many great people that are in like a a weird circumstance. Like you're, you're over there. You can't speak the language. You you don't know where you are, what you're doing, like where you're going. And so like you kind of, you make some real close friends over there with some guys that are from North America as well, just because of you're trying to figure out now life in, in Europe and, and this and that. And, and they're so dedicated about their hockey programs over there and stuff. I mean, the fans are amazing. And, and it was such a great, great experience. And I'm glad that I, that I went. And that's why I wanted to stay there. And, and that's why I kind of, even once I'm there, I wanted to play on different teams, which is how I ended up in, in Austria and in Italy, just to, just to travel and see the world and, and do different things. How uh, how cool was it? Even though it was just for a short time, to go and play in uh, Japan for the uh, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. The, is it the Nippon Paper Cranes? How do how do you say the team <laughs> name? I want to make sure I'm doing it justice. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Uh, so that was like uh, that was beyond any experience in Europe. I mean, Europe's amazing and I love it. But if you go to a restaurant, you could even if you don't know what the word is, you could read it and you can just figure it out when it comes what it is and this and that and kind of go fly by the seat of your pants when like i was in in a uh, small island town like way up north of of the main island of japan there was two white people and nobody spoke english like you're sitting on the floor to to eat dinner and so you got to take your shoes off everywhere the apartments the doorways in my apartments were up to my nose like you had to duck to get around everywhere like it was awesome and and it was i again like i mean the, the japanese guys couldn't be more respectful and and uh still talk to some of those guys as well um but it was it was it was different it was it was great because if you go to tokyo say for vacation i mean you you're speaking english and there's people there they have american stuff like this was just actually to be able to just live there and see their daily life and and what they do every day was was a really cool experience that i never would have got otherwise if it wasn't for hockey and then uh i, I don't know if there's two more different places in the world from uh you know hokkaido japan uh to trenton new jersey but uh <laughs> how did it happen that you ended up coming back to uh to north america again at that point uh to finish that season with trenton and then eventually finish your career with the titans yeah well the seasons are, are a lot shorter there's only like eight teams in the asian league over there i mean so i was coming home uh, the one year in uh january i believe um so being that I'm from Philly, I knew I wanted to, I knew I wanted to still play. Um, I wasn't a hundred percent ready to be done yet. So I wanted, but I wanted, so I wanted to play close to home, either in Reading or, or in Trenton. And it just happened to work out in, uh, in Trenton. But so this way I actually bought a house here in Philly and I was living at home and I was playing at home. And I kind of knew that this was my farewell tour kind of thing, as you say. And, and um, just to get my family to see me play again and I can live here and, try to figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. Um, so I kind of just, just did that for, for another year just to see how it was going to go. I think at the time I was probably mid thirties or 33, something like that. And now the bus just aren't so fun anymore. When you're, when you're getting off the bus at 33 at, at three in the morning and you get all these 21, 22, 23 year old kids that are like all happy as can be. And I can barely even move and get out of my seat. So I kind of realized that was, uh, that was close to the end. What's uh, what was the decision like for you to end up, you know, finally making the call that, you know, it, you're done, you know, that it's all of a sudden everything that, you know, you worked for from the time you were a kid and you played 10 years pro and got to see the world. And then it's kind of just like, you know, how'd you make that call? 
Um, like I said, it, it was just time. It was it was time to to settle down and and start a family and and stop living out of a suitcase. And and I was I, like I, I'm happy with where my career went. Like I, I do, I wish I would have played in the NHL. Of course, everybody does, and and this and that. But I mean, you can sit here and beat your head over it with everything what you could have did differently or something like that but I mean I met so many great guys and I've traveled the world I've gotten to see countries and my family came to visit and they got to see different countries and all stuff that we never would have done otherwise and and I made some good money along the way and and I was fortunate enough to do it for whatever it was 11 12 years um so I like I'm completely happy and satisfied with with what I did and, and where I ended up and all that. So it was, it was not an easy decision, um, but it was, I was okay with it. Right. It was easy. Like I was ready to move on and see what the next chapter of my life had for me. What's that been like the next chapter of your life? You know, obviously right now is a really weird situation, but kind of, you know, the last seven or eight years getting a chance to transition out of playing life. And as you say, you know, like start a family, three kids and, you know, live that side of your life as opposed to living out of a suitcase. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. It's uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I always did construction in the summertime, uh, playing when I was still playing. Um, so I always had an interest in that. I started coaching, and I was a hockey director when I first stopped playing. And um, it, it was fun, but it's all, it's all nights and weekends, and you're with, you're with the kids, and, and it just wasn't something that I wanted to do at the time. Um, so I, I ended up getting into, like I said, the Steamfitters Union and, and fortunate enough to be with a good company that – it treats me well. I've been there about seven years now. And um, so I like my job. And I met my wife when I was playing in Trenton here when I came back home. And she's from the area. She grew up in, in Yardley. And <clears throat> so we uh, we have three daughters now. They're four, two, and one. So it's uh, life's a handful now. You can't. You don't even have time to think about the old days anymore. You just got to <laughs> keep going day by day and and do it but it's it's great i mean i like i said i've traveled everywhere and, and done a lot of things so it's really nice to be able to come home from work and and see some smiling faces every day and, and it's just a it's a feeling like no other right like no other than that hockey could give you it's it's something different and and it's great and sometimes it's nice to sit back and, and have these conversations because you do remember a lot of stuff that you don't you don't think about otherwise and then uh, hopefully at the alumni game as well, uh, whenever that's uh, rescheduled for. There's a lot more questions than answers uh, about that type of uh, you know event planning stuff right now. But um, whenever that uh, whenever that day's selected, we'll uh, we'll be in touch and go from there. Yeah, definitely sounds good. Definitely include me. I'd lo- I'd love to get back and, and play and see everybody again.